millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to the Cartoon Salooniverse the podcast that swings open the doors of one of the world's greatest animation studios, Cartoon Saloon. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. I'm Steph Watts. And I'm Jake Cunningham. And we're crowding round the table. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Cartoon Saloon. Well, very quickly, perhaps sadly... We have reached the end of the Cartoon Saloon journey. Uh, We've covered the four features that the studio has made, uh, but that doesn't mean our series ends uh, because there is still quite a bit to cover. Uh, Michael, what are we going to be talking about in this episode? It's funny, isn't it? We start every episode with me saying, and I've seen a lot of them. And the thing with Cartoon Saloon is you watch those four features and you think, oh, that's a, a nice, tidy, easy <laughs> output for us to cover. But no, the well goes so deep. They have made TV series. They make short advert type specials. They have short films as well, as well as all sorts of unmade projects and other bits and bobs that we want to shout out. So we're using this final episode as a way of rounding up a few of those things that we just wanted to talk about, or at least nod to, because it's all part of the Cartoon Saloon story. One thing we said early on was that they started out as feature filmmakers, that's what they wanted to do, but they had to keep things going in between these massive projects. And they are industrious, to say the least, in terms of the things they're doing in between the films. So it's only right that we end with that. But of course, we have other bits of wrap-up to do, don't we? We have our final rankings. We also get to give the name to what our final rankings are going to be called. (laughs) So we have some great uh, listener messages uh, on that topic and also on topics general, generally related to Cartoon Saloon. So quite a lot to get through in this uh, sort of ragbag, mailbag, roundup episode. (laughs) Well, shall we start then with in in territory that's fairly familiar to us, which is is films, but just just shorter ones. Um, So... Let's talk about Late Afternoon. Who's this one by? So this is directed by Louise Bagnall. Have we mentioned Louise on this so far? So she has credits on the last couple of Cartoon Saloon films, but this is her sort of first 
big directorial effort for the studio, a short film that ended up getting an Oscar nomination. It's a sort of nine minutes long piece about a lady called Emily and how she's being taken back through the memories of her childhood and her young uh, and her young age with a sort of light theme of exploring memory loss, dementia, old age. It's not explicitly said, is it? But it is exploring that through animation. Steph, what did you uh, what did you make of late afternoon? Well, Cartoon Saloon just seems to be out to make me cry <laughs> in every single thing they do. This was no different. Um, but really, really lovely. Um, I feel like, yeah, like you said, Michael, that kind of exploring of like um, old age, maybe dementia. It's something that kind of recently we see a lot in like horror mm. film and tv um i guess because it is um something quite scary and yeah just like all of those kind of dips into memory and the way that memories appear through kind of taste and sight of like little things like dropping a biscuit into tea that can bring up like so many other old memories and stuff so yeah I was like really impressed and it's really lovely yeah I I think this is a really amazing short film I I loved it (laughs) um I think the use of shape and color uh shows us this is very much part of the cartoon saloon family of wanting to kind of take things to their most simplified but most powerful version um so in this one you've got characters who heads are maybe just a circle like we've seen in the breadwinner or song of the sea but they don't even have a neck they're just mm-hmm. they're just you can just tell it's it's a, a person's face that is connected to a shape of a body but it doesn't matter because it's all in the pursuit of emotion and the pursuit of story um and it, it's all kind of tied to that exploration of memory that it is kind of keeping things really loose and the fact that the body parts don't connect kind of feels right for this world in which kind of memory and thought kind of collapse in on each other and weirdly Mm. it's maybe the most connected to a satoshi Kon film that we would have covered Mm. in the way that kind of realities will blur and that you'll use the shape or color of something from a certain reality to transition you into another one and back out again um and those the the colors here like the way that something in your in your present day the way that you see the the color red on something or the color purple on something and it's just a flat block color but it's a obviously a a beautiful pantone shade i'm sure um but that color just follows the story into the past and back out again and it's it's really simple storytelling stuff to just give you this one thing to, for you to follow through the story and back out again but it's so so good but also there's no milk in the tea which i find strange particularly for an an irish story uh, <laughs> i mean yeah i mean that's a side joke i think this is a really lovely film we've talked so much in this series about how cartoon saloon are uh, as a studio as a whole very much are interested in stories and in narrative and storytelling and but this short moves away from that tradition of storytelling into a more sort of associative emotional landscape of memory it's interesting you bring up satoshi Kon because that's sort of what this is and almost the animation style at times is what we did 
associate with Satoshi Kon, where it's very elastic, these amazing mm. camera moves where the forms warp and change when you're in this subconscious memory world. I do love the simplicity of that character design as well. You say that some characters have a head with no neck. That's just Emily, I think. I think all the other characters are fully formed figures. And it's almost just this perfect, subtle, understated bit of character design that Emily is a character where her head is separate from her body in a way that her brain or her mind is going through these various layers of memory that dislocate her from the physical Mm -hmm. where her body is in this... um, this living room, sitting room with this character that we're not sure, Kate, we, we find out her name is, is she a carer, is she a family member? And it's through this journey through memories that really takes some very emotionally impactful turns, going from crashing waves from the swirling of a teacup, from, uh, what's what the other one? The, this amazing shot of a train, a, a nice recurring motif for us, as Ghibli Attack the podcast. <laughs> All these, 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 this imagery that then finds a specific memory that is a moment of realization and recognition. It's something that is very profound in the short film formats that doesn't need the structures of the framework of stories upon stories and stories within stories that we have within the feature films. It's something that's purely emotional and really wonderful as a result, I think. But that was Late Afternoon, which is one of Cartoon Saloon's more recent short films. I think for the next one, what I want to highlight, I'm going to go right back to the beginning, one of their very first short films, which is From Darkness, directed by Nora Toomey, who, of course, did The Breadwinner as her feature film. But this is something very different too. Jake, did you spot anything different about this? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they've been, um, they haven't been Justin Timberlake in the social network just yet at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you'll notice at the start of this film that they are the cartoon saloon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but that's maybe not the only thing that people will notice about this one. Uh, this one is scary. It's a scary film. Um, I, this is made more so than the breadwinner in terms of like not showing this to younger kids. Uh, there is skulls and drowning and darkness, and it's all a bit intense. Um, but it's really good, and there is stuff here that is still familiar. Uh, that doesn't mean to say like because it's scary, it doesn't feel like cartoon scene because it weirdly still does. Um, something that we've tracked throughout all of these, which started maybe as a coincidence between uh, Kells and Song of the Sea, but it's kind of carried through everything, is hair. Um, <laughs> and where hair has been a way of kind of showing emotional or familial connection or just kind of a reflection of the wildness of the inside of someone's character. Uh, in this, we've kind of got hair that almost acts like a, like a trap as well um and the way it kind of sprawls off in all these tendrils um it's a bit like the the naughty version of the sewer lad from song of the sea i suppose (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is a bit naughty right so this is based on an inuit folk story showing how nora Toomey very much is influenced by the sort of international storytelling traditions rather than maybe tom moore who very much focuses on ireland and irish folk stories um, but it is a, a horror, right? It's, it's about this mm. skeleton that is uh, un, uh, unearthed by this fisherman and comes home with him for the night. And it, had, mm. it, has, it has a little bit of a sexy undertone too. Yeah. I mean, imagine if like 
Song of the Sea and the kind of mystical sea creatures was this. If this was just the full film, it'd be quite a different a different vibe. But I really liked it and it's fun to see like a silent short um and you can just like really watch all of like the animation and the like that really creepy imagery and yeah, sexy skeleton lady. Good. <laughs> yeah, the, the the skull in particular is quite haunting. It's got these kind of big cavernous eye sockets which are quite a lot to deal with when you're used to nice soft kids films <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we should shout out that so many of these films are available to watch on the Cartoon Saloon YouTube account um, or at least trailers or clips from them are and you know, we're only going to kind of go through some of the highlights of some of the ones that are linked to previous films we've discussed but there are there's another Nora Toomey one there Backwards Boy there's Ledge End of Phil and Somewhere Down the Line which are very different in terms of their style what's amazing is how they use these shorts as opportunities for filmmakers rising through the ranks to show off their style to have their first directorial credit perhaps one that's really important in the history is Old Fangs, which was directed by Adrian Merigeau, who, did we mention he was quite in, uh, integral to the making of Song of the Sea in that episode? But he left the studio and is now actually Oscar nominated this year in the Best Animated Short section for Genius Loci or Genius Loci, which um, is, I think, one of the, f- the frontrunners in that category. But let's bring ourselves up to date with two final little shorts we want to talk about. These are two almost created in lockdown during the pandemic (laughs) projects so let's start with there's a monster in my kitchen yeah so this is actually the most recent tom moore film we should say Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a little short made in collaboration with greenpeace um with a young boy uh and a monster uh kind of breaks into his house um and it tells a story from two sides of the kid being afraid of the monster and then the monster being afraid of the deforestation that has destroyed its own habitat. Um, and it, it's really beautifully animated. And it's it's also a sequel, uh, which I was not aware of when I watched it the first time, and that there was a previous advert as well called There's a Jaguar in My Bedroom. Uh, so if you want to get in well, four minutes worth of, uh, of watching... <laughs> there and get two very lovely animated short films in i would recommend those yeah i I found it so interesting so this it starts out in that sort of kids storybook poem kind of you know bedtime story vibe about there being this monster in the kitchen and then just in case you're under any illusion that you weren't watching a tom moore film that comes through right at the end of the message that it's the meat industry that is at the heart of deforestation and destabilizing the planet which i don't think he's actually hammered so specifically as a theme before of course that's something that's fed into song of the sea specifically in terms of how um, industrialized processes can disrupt the land and our connection with the land but it it does kind of make sense to get them to do it and for him to Mm -hmm. do it because i think with any kind of environmental or charitable or uh kind of activist cause the hard thing is making people care about it and you of course hire the studio that are so good at very simply and very quickly getting to quite intense emotions uh which Mm -hmm. steph steph can attest to (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
and yeah, get of course get Tom Moore to do your, your two minute film that's going to make everyone reconsider uh, their meat consumption. And even within that, we we did say how these short projects are often used as a opportunity for other members of the studio to to cut their teeth as well. So this is actually you know, we say it's a Tom Moore project, and we focus so much on Tom Moore. It, he co-directed this with Fabian Erlinghauser, who we've talked about before is a real stalwart of the studio. And we'll probably mention again later in this episode too. But before we move away from shorts, and this is the sort of short promo, viral, shareable video subgenre, <laughs> there's something that they released just a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm. And so this was a short released on St. Patrick's Day, uh, which brings back Maeve from Warfalkers, and we're always happy to hear more from her. Um, and this kind of, is it, a, can you officially say it's a Warfalkers prequel? I think it's pitched as that because I think Screen Island, when they posted it, said it was like a, a prequel to Wolfwalkers or from the world of Wolfwalkers. <laughs> uh, a Wolfwalkers story. Yeah. <laughs> sort of tying Saint, the, the history or the folk stories behind St. Patrick's Day in with the cartoon saloon cinematic universe, mm. <laughs> which is fun to see. But it's, it's, a, it's a really nice short and, and it's, because it's all kind of made as one descending shot, which is really impressive. So the the quote unquote camera moves down the frame as the animation moves up it in the way that you might see a credit scroll, but you kind of get the story of St. Patrick's Day through all of this. So it's more like we're moving down a moving tapestry, I suppose, rather than just like frame by frame animation. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So from one-off shorts, uh, let's move to multi-episode stories. Uh, it's time to talk about Cartoon Saloon on the small screen. Mm-hmm. Michael, what's happening on the telly? Well, that's the thing, right? Um, 
we focus so much on these features and theatrical releases, but as I said, Cartoon Saloon are industrious. They're, they want to keep in business. The foundational TV series in Cartoon Saloon's history is a series called Skunk Fu um, that they did quite early in the 2000s or the mid-2000s. And that was the series... I quoted Paul Young in the Song of the Sea episode about when he said that after Secret of Kells, they'd had a BAFTA nomination and an Oscar nomination and they still couldn't keep the lights on. Um, and they were going from contract to contract. And that was because they'd had the Oscar nomination for Secret of Kells and they'd had a BAFTA nomination for Skunk Fu. Now, what is Skunk Fu? Um, I think this is the outlier. We, we're talking about how most of these um, projects are very uncartoon saloon in terms of the style that we've discussed them building across their features. Skunk Fu is sort of like... The way I talk about it is like Samurai Champloo, the Japanese anime that took say t- that takes a sort of anachronistic look at the samurai period with hip hop references, and so on, but with with farting skunks. <laughs> um, I I would have definitely watched this show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it reminded me. I don't know why. Um, there was a show that I was really into just before this time called Yvonne of the Yukon, which right. was about a um, a French <laughs> a French guy who got trapped in ice and then woken up two hundred years later in Canada. Um, <laughs> just pure silliness. Um, and actually, <laughs> I, I realised that I haven't watched like a eleven minute two part kids show in what 15 years and uh, skunk food did it for me i had a very fun time um but skunk food is maybe not the show that they are most known for no and it's worth saying that the creator of skunk food was adrian hart who in some tellings of the cartoon saloon story is listed as a co-founder but i think it was after skunk food that he moved on so didn't so it's almost like he was one of those key creative leads early on, but then his influence would have slipped away when he moved away, and it becomes more about Tom Moore's sensibility, Nora Toomey's sensibility, Paul Young and the others as well influencing. And the next series that we're going to talk about is absolutely from the drawn from similar the similar creative world of the features, and that's one that's quite well regarded and talked about quite widely but particularly within parent circles and that's <laughs> puffin rock so let me just tee up puffin rock puffin rock is one of the purest most cozy wholesome shows imaginable it's about a family of puffins and their various uh, animal friends living on an idyllic island off the coast of ireland um, and our two leads are una and baba um a, a two siblings in that great Song of the Sea, My Neighbor Totoro kind of tradition as they go about their very low stakes adventures around the island. <laughs> and it's on Netflix. And that probably is what's given it this big push in terms of popularity because it is available internationally on Netflix. It's huge in China, apparently. This is the one that really is huge in terms of merchandise as well. We don't think of Cartoon Saloon as merchandise, kind of... Um, a merchandise powerhouse, but Puffin Rock is. Oh yeah, is the well, one. I was I was looking um, at the art books of all of Cartoon Saloon stuff, and you've got the art of Secret of Kells, 
uh, and you've got the art of song and sea and all of these kind of coffee table books in the book section for cartoon saloon and then you've got an una and baba adventure <laughs> <laughs> and you've got like multiple spin-off una and baba books they're yeah they're the great export steph i have a feeling that uh, puffin rock is more your speed which more my like? speed than spunk foo uh Although, I mean, yeah, like Jake, when I was probably about like eight or nine, Skunk Fu would have been completely my jam. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first episode of Puffin Rock, they are transporting a frog back to his home. I love frogs, <laughs> love cartoon frogs, especially. This was extremely satisfying to watch. Um, yeah, it's super nice. Like, it's it's just so kind of calming and like, definitely I feel like something that you probably play a child before bedtime Mm -hmm. to like calm everyone um yeah oh it's just lovely isn't it and then the the kind of lovely narration over the top of just like oh puffins (laughs) silly puffins like yeah it's so good and I think like that kind of yeah environment like gentle environmental message and kind of looking at like the constellations in the stars and stuff like that it's just so kind of yeah calming I could definitely see myself just watching all of that despite not having any kids. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my neighbor over the fence who's got a 2-year-old and we were talking about talking about work as you do. Um and the podcast series came up and I mentioned Cartoon Saloon and he wasn't very aware of it and I kind of went through the credits and then said, "Oh, and um Puff and Rock." Oh. <laughs> Up and rock, <laughs> um, and that is um, one of the little the little girls' absolute favourites is Puff and Rock. So I, I think if you've watched the films and you wonder what did this stu- what what else does this studio do? We've talked about the shorts, and the shorts are such a good next step. But Puff and Rock is very much within the same universe as their films, and absolutely something somewhere to go next. But the amazing thing about their TV work is that. Um, they work with everybody. So they work a lot with RTE, the Irish broadcaster. They work with Nickelodeon, CBBC, Cartoon Network, Netflix. They even work with Amazon too. We'll come to that in a second. But they they, 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 they work with all sorts. They're not just, they don't just do one thing. So there are a couple of other series they've done, they've done very recently, which we've not been able to watch too much of. So there's Dog Vandango, which launched in 2020 on Nickelodeon. And there's not currently a way to easily stream it, at least not with the subscriptions I have. So I've not been able to watch too much of it, but that's much more in that um, eight to 10 year old and up animated tradition. What we should say about Dog Mandango is that it's based on an original idea by Nora Toomey and Fabian Erlinghauser, who we mentioned in the short section. So this is just such a big commission for them and, we have Puffin Rock, which couldn't be more Tom Moore in some ways. And then we have something else here, which has very different influences. And I'd love to actually watch more of this if I can find a way to subscribe to Nickelodeon. Not, you know, I don't have Sky or anything, but it's about an ordinary kid who falls in with a crowd of magical beings, including a unicorn, an ancient witch, a ghost and an alien who have all escaped <laughs> from Area 52. And it just sounds like exactly the sort of thing I would have loved when I was that age, really. And I think that's what I like about Cartoon Saloon's TV series. They make the sort of, maybe this is actually a pretty good 
sort of strand of DNA that comes from their films. Their feature films are told and created so much with their kids in mind. There's such a connection to their inner children or their real children. And their TV series, too, just seem to be tapping into some sort of inner child as well. And whether that is their own experiences or maybe informed by their own kids, uh, too. It's quite fascinating to see all of these would be my jam if I was in that key demographic age. Um, and th- there is one other TV show, which is Viking School, which mm. I think would go down well with any How to Train Your Dragon fans out there. Um, and this is made by a or a collaboration with a Norwegian production company called Storm Films. And what I like about this is that, uh, Steph, you would know this, uh, that there is like lots of Viking anime that mm-hmm. like, and huge fandom for Viking stories within the anime world. And then Storm Films come along and work with Cartoon Saloon on Viking School, um, which you can probably guess what it is from the title. Um, and But in their description of it, they say, it's the only Viking animation made by Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm imagining uh, these animators just like like just crashing through their desks with like <laughs> horns of wine and like scratching at pieces of papyrus uh, to make these kind of flick book stories because uh, they're in between going off and killing loads of people. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's, that's what's great about fanning out from the films is that they're... they're, they're breadth of references just go really broad to you know vikings and ghosts and aliens and everything but we should actually mention that for tg4 which i think is the irish language channel in ireland they have done these series of sort of animated music videos for irish folk songs and so if you enjoyed those sections in song of the sea and wolf walkers um check out the series you know uh, the, some of the clips are on their youtube channel i don't know if tg4 have anything upon their streaming service too but it's also a really good way to get a sense of the breadth of animation talent and style within the studio because it's one where they may have a series with 10 episodes and every episode would be by a different director with in a very different style so they another example of them using the short form of tv or shorts to really develop their talent and show off what they can do their range but what really fascinates me in doing the research for this this final wrap-up episode you find stories around the internet of various projects that cartoon saloon were involved in that maybe didn't come to pass and some of them are really tantalizing. So there's one that was definitely we saw stuff from, which was Eddie of the Realms Eternal, which was a, an Amazon pilot when they were doing that pilot, the pilot season for Prime, which didn't come to series. There are still some places that has have that 30 minute pilot up there. It's worth looking at. There's a series called Ellie the Ace, which was created by Louise Bagnall before Late Afternoon which looks incredible about a young wannabe flying ace who's obsessed with Amelia Earhart. And it has this beautiful animation style to it, but 
even though there was a lot of chat around the time a few years ago of it being of this big co-production with financing in place and being shopped around at festivals, it never came out. And on her Tumblr, Louise Bagnall, I think, bundled together some story concepts into like a mini comic that's worth looking at. And I, I love her art style. Uh, worth seeing. But the one that took the internet by storm very recently while we've been recording this miniseries is... I don't know if you, J- Jake or Steph, whether you heard about this before before we, we found it for this uh, episode, no. but Cartoon Saloon were contracted by Disney to pitch for their version of a Winnie the Pooh series, which, yes. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, this was years ago, and people found on Ross Stewart's art site, obviously after Wolf Walkers, everyone's been going to Ross Stewart's website and looking at what he's been up to because he has... Hit, you know various concept art up there and he had concept art from this you know unrealized series of Winnie the Pooh done in Ross Stewart style and then there's uh, Monica Armino who's a sort of concept artist background artist who's also put up some some stills from this and I don't know have you have you looked at this Jake and Steph what do you make of this and also what do you make of the basic concept of a cartoon saloon Winnie the Pooh series hey, I'm I'm very much up for this um, I, I'm. I would really. I'd like to see them operating with something that kind of already exists. Mm. Like, what is their version of it? The way that people are like, oh yeah, what would Quentin Tarantino do with Star Trek? Um, <laughs> I, I would be happy, very, very happy to see them take on this, or, or actually, yeah, like any other kind of big property. Like, what would, what would the cartoon saloon version be of Percy the Park Keeper? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it looks so nice because as well. I mean, my most of my memories of Winnie the Pooh is like just him in the forest and not really kind of connected to like the human world. And then a lot of the concept art is kind of Winnie the Pooh in a back garden with a house and a trampoline mm. and like at the shops and stuff like that. So that's like really interesting, I think, to see that kind of um that kind of Winnie the Pooh vibe translated into like suburban environments. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I immediately yeah. think of those landscape shots in Song of the Sea when the kid, you know, when, when they're going across the fields and you have that, those beautiful almost cross sections of like the badgers underneath in their, in, in their dens underground. I almost think of that interspliced with. Because, you know, recently with my toddler, Ivo, we've been watching the Disney Winnie the Pooh films and they're quite meta in what they do because they actually have like the physical book of the of Winnie the Pooh opening and you see the map of Hundred Acre Wood at the beginning and all the characters are sort of in situ on there and the pages are turning. I can really see the, the way that Cartoon Saloon have incorporated storytelling, sort of meta storytelling devices like that they can have it into their films. They can do that similarly with a Winnie the Pooh story. I've also recently, in in such a typical hipster animation dad way, been saying, okay, we'll watch a bit of Disney Winnie the Pooh as long as we can watch the Soviet Winnie the Pooh in Russian afterwards. Because <laughs> Vinnie, Vinnie Pooh is, is so good as well. Um, although I, Ivo doesn't recognise that brown bear in the Russian animation as Winnie the Pooh. He only recognises the, the yellow bear. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that would be amazing. I know that we've said that Cartoon Saloon is such a bastion of original, unique 
distinctive animation that could only come from the studio. But wouldn't it be fascinating if they did get a property mm. like that? Well, like something totally out of their wheelhouse as well. Um, like Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Like, like this, just I'm just going off of Star Trek here. Um, <laughs> but something that is kind of for a more grown up audience, but is based on a well-known property like one of these um many star wars universe shows like if mm. something like that came their way god that would be so cool i'm sure off the back of wolf walkers which we said had much more of a hollywood sheen and an action-packed sort of edit style and action to it um they must be percolating all sorts of ideas that are a bit more action heavy because of course we said you know at the, at the beginning of the studio they were inspired by 90s Disney, like Mulan, but then also very much the Gendy Tartakovsky world of Samurai Jack. So they have that in their DNA. And who needs kind of other people's properties to do your big TV show when, in fact, they could just make their own, right? Absolutely. So we know that off the back of their collaboration with Apple for Wolf Walkers, that they've been contracted to do a big fantasy show i think it's really just talked about in those those terms right it's like a fantasy epic (laughs) we don't really know much about it yet (laughs) but in the press release it says it's something massive coming from cartoon saloon (laughs) take that money (laughs) we want to chomp down on that but i guess that will be coming a bit further down the line than their than their next feature which we know is my father's dragon the which will be directed by nora toomey and that's with Netflix. So they're in bed with all of the all of the people with the, with the purse strings right now. Um, but perhaps most importantly, there is a Puff and Rock film. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Puff and Rock on tour. <laughs> Una and Baba go large in Ibiza. <laughs> I do wonder. So yeah, there is a note on... Um, on their website about um, this Puffin Rock movie. I do wonder if it's on a similar scale to the, just to, to draw an example that's from a similar you know, demographic, like an Octonauts movie or a Peppa Pig movie, which might be actually more for streaming platforms, but it's just a, a bumper episode. Or is this like a Shaun the Sheep movie, mm. which is very mm. much a theatrical release? I guess we'll we'll find out and just we'll find out how many explosions there'll be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrity cameos. <laughs> It's so exciting that My Father's Dragon is just around the corner because uh, we had such a long wait from doing all of our Ghibli films to then get a new one. It's quite nice to cover all of Cartoon Saloon's features. And then we've only got to wait probably a few more months and then we can add another one. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? With Ghibli, we'd be waiting six years from Marnie to to Earwig. But literally in the course of making this miniseries... Cartoon Saloon put out two things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were short things, but they were new things for us to talk about. So it's great to have welcomed them into the Tech family. And we can't wait to talk more about their stuff down the line. And if you want to hear people that aren't us talk about this kind of thing, <laughs> uh, there is a little podcast corner that I've created for this episode uh, for people that want to branch out uh, If you liked Wolfwalkers and Song of the Sea, uh, then Will Collins, who was one of the writers on those, has got his own podcast called The Best Fits, which is talking about the best versions of certain things in film. So that might be best Harrison Ford moment or 
best Tom Cruise running moment and uh, it's very, very enjoyable. Uh, it's with another Irish writer called Kevin Lahen and would thoroughly recommend. I'd like to shout out Kevin because uh, he wrote the script for what was a really fun horror comedy from a few years back that I think I saw at Fright Fest maybe around what, 2012, 2013 called Grabbers, which is uh, where uh, sort of a an alien invasion that's happening and the only way to survive is to get drunk in a pub. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 worth it's worth digging out i think quite a fun one definitely um and people should check out the screenwriting life um one of the hosts of that is meg lafove who is one of the writers on my father's dragon she also was a writer on inside out and lots of other stuff um but what's really nice about that podcast is that the podcast is being recorded at the same time that my father's dragon is being made so when she's talking about the screenwriting process and the stuff that she's working on at the moment, it's quite nice to know that that is this Cartoon Saloon project, as as well as many other things. Uh, and if you want to get right inside Cartoon Saloon, then check out The Speakeasy, uh, which is not on any podcast platforms, but is on the Cartoon Saloon website with your host, Tom Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talking to two different Cartoon Saloon staff members about their work. I think that's about 13 or 14 episodes, so people should absolutely be checking that one out um, for a glimpse inside the studio. I think the speakeasy is a very good Cartoon Saloon-related pun, but I think we would have gone with a more pun, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you want to know more? (laughs) A grease angle, tell me more, tell me more. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, give me just a little more time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I suppose, yeah, we're, we're being very smug here coming up with puns for someone else's podcast when we, we fail to come up with a pun for our own for what to call <laughs> the ranking of the Cartoon Saloon films, our equivalent to the leaderboard or Jacob's Ladder for this series. But luckily, we threw that responsibility over to our listeners um, who very graciously sent in some letters for our mailbag so let's uh should we open the mailbag and have a read absolutely so let's kick things off with charlotte sandberg who wrote in to say uh hi guys thank you so much for the great podcast about secret of kells i've been a fan of cartoon saloon ever since i saw song of the sea in the cinema when it was released in ireland since then i've watched all their work one thing i think you missed on your podcast even though you almost got there was the snake theme the legend in ireland is st patrick's came and rid the island of snakes i would take that to mean that snakes represent the ancient magic of the celts and st patrick is the new religion driving it out all the magic in the movie is snake-like, culminating in an, an, an actual ancient magical snake that Brendan must face. The snake gives up its eye to enable Brendan to see the page and add his own illustrations to it. I think that is the message of the movie, or the secret. The message is that the Book of Kells is a revered religious text, but its secret is that it was made with ancient magic, drawn with the eye of the snake. What do you think from Charlotte, English girl living in Galway? I mean, that's, that's some deep folklore there i think we said on that episode that we 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 weren't too au fait with irish folklore but thank you charlotte for giving us a a theory in that direction there let's pull out another letter this is from luke thorne hi my first cartoon saloon memory was watching song of the sea 
I was completely blown away by, in particular, its stunning visuals. For me, it's the best animated feature of 2014, and I still continue to think about this movie almost every day. Kind regards, Luke. Thanks, Luke. I mean, I'm with you there, Luke. Absolutely. I, I, particularly during the run of this series, I, I do probably think about just one little image comes through from Song of the Sea every day. Has lingered long in the mind. Um, we have another letter from Connor Holt. He says, hello, Ghibliotech. My favourite thing about the films of Cartoon Saloon, apart from the gorgeous animation, is their celebration of Irish history and mythology. I'm American, but my mother is Irish, and I've tried to learn more and more about my ancestral homeland. When I first saw the film Secret of Kells, I enjoyed it as a lovely animated tale. When I rewatched it several years later, after actually seeing the Book of Kells in Ireland... I was blown away at the ingenious way they translated that history into a story accessible for children. So much of Irish cinema is either witty comedies or dramas about the troubles. To have three animated films about three different eras of Irish history and various areas of folklore is an incredible gift, both to the people of Ireland and to audiences worldwide who have never heard of Selkies or Wolfwalkers. I feel incredibly blessed that Ireland has such amazing artists at Cartoon Saloon who care so deeply about their cultural heritage. And finally, Ian Purcell, who says, Hello, I'm loving the podcast about the Cartoon Saloon films. Song of the Sea is one of my favourite films and happy to say it is up there for my daughter too, working out the best way to try and see Wolfwalkers. Well, hopefully you're able to watch it now, Ian, uh, if you can borrow someone's subscription to Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> for your ranking of the films, I have a suggestion of what you can call it. What about... Salooniversity Challenge. Yes. 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 Very, very good, Ian. Uh, he says, I discovered your podcast a couple of months ago and have been prompted to catch up on the Ghibli films I've neglected. I've been touched by Pom Poco and only yesterday in the last two weeks. I mean, Ian's talking our language here. Uh, <laughs> next up, Princess Kaguya. Thanks. Keep up the good work. It is part of what is keeping me sane through this whole time. Oh, Ian, thank you so much. Hi. Um, and yet we've got to take him up on the Saloonversity Challenge. Uh, what an, in, an inspired name. Uh, I don't think we ever even came close to something as clever as that. And that leads us to our ranking. Michael, Steph, it is time for the Saloonversity Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with what's Warwick? <laughs> I can't believe I'm on the <laughs> Silly University Challenge. How exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, that been thinking like over the past couple of weeks where we've had a break to kind of think about our, our rankings. Um, and I think mine is mostly the same, to be fair. Like, I think I still play Song of the Sea at the top. Um, but then I think I have kind of a tie between Wolf Walkers and the Breadwinner. I don't know if we're allowing joint second um but those two I just feel like are so close for me um it's really hard to pick kind of a proper a proper ranking um and then Secret of Kells and then Frog episode of Puffin Rock uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my final ranking with Frog episode actually being number one that's reverse order yeah. right yeah yeah Cunningham Kent <laughs> um have we all got alliterative universities to our surnames I don't. I ruin it right at the end. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think mine has slightly shifted as we've gone on. 
maybe the thing that has surprised me has been how much the breadwinner has kind of remained in my thoughts through the series and it was maybe doing our episode on it that um, made me think about that film a bit more because initially that one was at the bottom um, and I think it's, it's so interesting I think it's so beautifully told and I think it is so powerful in those last few moments when he is uh, revealing the true story to the elephant king um, and that that bit particularly has stuck with me so I'm going to go with Secret of Kells then the breadwinner, then the wolfwalkers, and then Song of the Sea at the top for me. But finally, leader Birmingham. <laughs> oh man, the dream of being on University Challenge. Um, although my nightmare of being on University Challenge would be being on and then getting the film round wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, but luckily you've turned up to one where it's very specifically about the films of one Irish animation studio. Uh, absolutely. So I think going from top to bottom, it would be Song of the Sea, Wolf Walkers, and then Joint Third, Joint Bronze, Kells, and The Breadwinner. And I think I discussed this maybe on the Breadwinner episode, in fact, where I think that. The Breadwinner is such a assured, comprehensive piece of a film. Secret of Kells has that experimental, rough edges to it as a debut. So I think almost as the extremes of, of their craft are worth kind of putting together there. However, Song of the Sea and Wolf Walkers are just the ones that absolutely beguile and fascinate me as we've discussed on this podcast, because I love how Cartoon Saloon and maybe it's worth talking about Tom Moore at the centre of it, but all of his collaborators, how Cartoon Saloon and those two films are really looking at Irish folklore and history, this specificity of place and identity, the traumas of the past and the hopes for the future and how there is something within the, the ground and the the natural world that can help them see the way forward so those are the two that are the real gems of the studio for me but really there isn't a dud in the in the lot if i could bring in as steph did uh, a reference to this episode i think late afternoon would be right in the middle there i think that is such a triumph and should be sought out by anybody really even if you're not a big fan of the folklore stuff it gets away from that it's so separate from what the other films do but it's really worth seeing So there we are. That's the cartoon Salooniverse. Have we we've reached the edge of it? <laughs> but of course, <laughs> like any universe, it's ever expanding, and uh, we look forward to exploring where it goes. Um, yeah, thank you to all our listeners for joining us on this journey. We hope you've enjoyed discovering these films if you're watching them for the first time, uh, or just joining us along the way. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. They they are some incredible filmmakers and it's been such a such a pleasure um and we're going to be taking a little break uh but only a short break because the podcast is going to be back in just under a couple of months we've got a new series coming at the end of may and we have actually already teased what that one's going to be haven't we michael well we've teased 
two aspects of it definitely i think one thing that's going to be happening towards the end of may or depending on the world outside our windows maybe into june is the reopening of cinemas in the uk and the and the witch is finally going to be hitting the the shores of, of britain and to mark that we do have interviews with goro miyazaki and toshio suzuki to put out on the podcast feed which you know gosh particularly the toshio suzuki one feels like a real peak for the podcast something on our to-do list that we've had for two three years now finally crossed off yeah cannot wait to get that one out i'm sure they'll be broadcasting earwig in all the spy sports pubs serving uh, fish and chips <laughs> and uh, pasty and peas um and yeah i can't wait for that and everything that will come after it there's lots of exciting things happening for the podcast um and we look forward to sharing those but in the meantime you can keep up with us on twitter the main podcast is there at Ghibliotech. Uh, you can also email us at ghibli at little.studios.com and you can keep in touch with all of us individually on Twitter as well. Steph's over there at underscore Steph Watts. Michael is there at Michael J Leader. And you can follow Jake at Jake H Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe and the show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. That's me. I'm the editor as well. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.